1 Corinthians 12, we're in a series entitled United. And in this series, we're learning how to live in unity for the gospel. The unity of the gospel for the gospel. Because we've talked about how unity fuels God's people for mission in the world. And every week, as we're talking about this, we see how the unity of the church becomes the fuel of the people of God for us to live in a particular distinct way that brings honor and glory to God. No matter what we're doing, no matter where we're at, no matter who we're with. And so today... We're talking about true service, true service, and that we are gifted for the common good, gifted for the common good. When I use that word gift, it reminds me of an interview that I was in one time, and I was on staff at a church. We were looking to hire another minister for the staff, and so part of what they would do is when a a, a potential new staff member would come in, they would send them on a cycle through the church to interview with each of the staff members for a few minutes just to see kind of how the chemistry was. And I remember with this one particular interviewee, he and his wife sat down. They were young. They were just a really vivacious young couple, and it was a, a joy to interview with them. And As I interviewed them, she kept saying one thing to me, he is such a gift. And I was like, okay, great. I mean, he's gift. He's a gift. You know, talking about her husband. And I I wanted to go, "Would, would you shut up? I don't know how much he's paid you. Stop telling me he's a gift. Okay, I mean, it's just, he didn't like, so I voted no for him. No, I'm kidding. I didn't. I didn't have a vote. I'm just kidding. But it just struck me. She kept going, he's a gift. I was like, how much do you pay her to say these kinds of things? I'm going to talk to my wife about that. You're gifted. You genuinely are a gift to the body of Christ. And today we're going to talk about what that means and I'm not even going to say shut up if you want to say I'm gifted for the body Uh, that wouldn't be very kind is it let me start by asking some questions because I think these questions are going to help me expose some of what I have witnessed as a pastor that the the challenges uh, in the church and serving in the church but let, let me ask you some questions first of all do you think giftings or spiritual giftings in the church are only for a few or maybe what you might determine to be the spiritually elite do you see them that way Are spiritual gifts just really natural strengths that happen to occur in the church, or are they something more from God? Thought about that? Well, that that person would be that way regardless of where they were. And also this, what about how is it that Christians are to serve in the church? Is there any benefit? Is there any value in serving in the church? Now, yes, for some of you that have been around LifePoint for a while, I hope that you already know the answers to these questions. And hopefully today you'll have a deeper understanding of the answers to them. But if you're new to LifePoint or you've only recently begun to attend service here and get to know our people, I hope you have a deeper understanding of what we believe the Scriptures teach about spiritual gifts and specifically what Paul is saying about spiritual gifts and our service in the church because this continues in the thread of his unity and how we are to live as God's people. You see, 
exercising your gift to serve the church demonstrates God's grace in your life. That's what Paul's going to tell us today. So I want to start by reading the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 12, and then we'll work through the remainder of the chapter from there. Paul begins, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, let me pause there for a moment because these first three verses remind us of where we've come from and they direct us to where we're headed in the remainder of the chapter. In the first century, it was very common with the plethora of gods that existed, that would be God's little g, that there would on occasion be someone appear in the city or on the roadside that would have what might be thought of as a manifestation of the Spirit. We might call it a seizure. You know, and, and these people were thought to be the spiritual elites. They were ones that the gods, little g again, had chosen to put some kind of special impartation of themselves into. And when they did this manifestation thing, or had their seizure, so to speak, it was a demonstration of that God, and you just kind of gave them some room to pass. And so there was this uh, aura if you would, around an individual in the expression of this gift. And what Paul begins here is to say this. Now concerning spiritual things, spiritual gifts, even spiritual people, that's what the word is saying there in the Greek. He's not just talking about spiritual gifts as we will later discern them, but he actually uses a different word that says, now about people who get inhabited by spirits. That's what he's saying there. And he begins to distinguish between those of false gods and those of the true God. In other words, they were known as spiritual people, but they were quarantined because of their manifestation of that spirit. So it causes me to wonder, what do you think of when you hear somebody talk about spiritual people? What do you think of? Sometimes I think we are often inclined to think in elevated terms. In other words, we think of people in more lofty ways that call themselves spiritual people. And it's very familiar today for people to go, well, I'm spiritual, I'm just not religious. As if there is some kind of elevating of personhood by acknowledging that. And what I'm going to argue today is that the way people purport that in the world today is no different than those who were worshiping the false gods of 1 Corinthians. And that's something we need to hear today, friends. You see, Paul says that there is a distinction between those who worship the gods of little g and the one true God, capital G, 
And that there are many spirits, but even as we know, the Word of God tells us in 1 John 4 that we are to test the spirits to see if they are from God, the true God, or not. Why? Because there are many spirits who have gone out into the world who would masquerade around like the real capital S spirit, but they are not the same. And so we need to know the difference. And as a Christian, when the true God inhabits you by His Spirit, you serve a new Lord. You live under His Lordship and you are led by His leading. You see, people that are filled with God's Holy Spirit have a distinction against any other spirit and it is simply this. Jesus is Lord. So there are some ways in which everything I'm asking you today is simply this. Are you confessing that Jesus is Lord with your living? Is that the confession of your life? Let me just also say this. There are no spiritual elites in the church. Now, I know a lot of people wouldn't say it that way, but many pragmatically live that way. That other people maybe are more loved by God because of what they can do or how gifted they are or how smart they are or because of how much they give of themselves or you know whatever the justification for that may be. They just simply think that they're more spiritual or more loved by God in some way because of that. But you see, friends, all of God's people, all who have become Christians are filled with His Spirit to testify to Jesus' Lordship through service. Everyone. And so at the very moment that I am laboring today for every person to understand that we are all serving Jesus' Lordship for the purpose of the body, I want you to know that when I say all, I mean each of you individually as well. There's not a person in the room That's not included individually when I say all. Okay? That's how God designed the church to work. By each Christian serving the all. So that they might grow and mature. God gifts every Christian by the Holy Spirit for service in ministry in the church. And I want to give to you today, I want to offer to you three reasons that every Christian must serve to grow and to mature the body of Christ. And here's where we're headed today. The big idea is simply this, that God gifts each Christian to serve in unity among the body for the growth and maturity of the whole body. So you see the relationship there. Each individual Christian for the whole. And I want to compel you today because of three reasons why we as Christians must serve to grow and to mature the body. I want you to see a lesson with each one of these reasons. And I'll show you the lesson before I give you the reason. So the first lesson I want you to see today is how Paul teaches us that there's only one God, but there are many gifts. One God, but many gifts. Go to verse 4 with me and let's read through verse 11. Now, there are variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, 
But it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's pause there for a moment. I want you to see the first lesson we're going to look at today is that there are one God who gives many gifts. There are not many spirits who give a gift. There is one God who gives many gifts. The origin is essential to understand what Paul is saying, and this is where he begins. He begins with the unity of the God who gives many gifts. Now, in this passage, if you understand the word for gift, you'll understand this. It is synonymous with grace. There are a variety of graces, is what he is saying. In other words, a gift from God is an expression of the grace he gives us in salvation. And that's what he is telling us. God is only one. He is the true God. And of course, he's saying this against the backdrop of the many false gods that are being worshipped in Corinth of the day that we've already discussed. But this one God gives many gifts to all of his children. And so he shows the unity of the one true God who gives all, gifts to all of his people. And here's what he does. Instead of calling them spiritual people and the, the focus being put on the individual, he calls them what? Gifts of what? Grace. Where does that shift the focus? From the individual who's caught up in the seizureist manifestation to the one who is the giver of the gift. There's been a shift in glory here. And the shift has gone from the individual who is elevating self to the one who is above all and grants to his people. Yes, all people, friends, are spiritual. And this proves this for us today. It proves that we, are, we have a need for God. For someone to say, I am spiritual, is a true statement. It's the manner in which it is usually stated that is false. Because all that proves is that we were created by God, and hear me, for God. By God and for God. And we must test the spirits because ultimately the plethora of spirits that say Jesus is accursed or that will not confess Jesus is Lord, they all come from one source as well, and that's Satan. No matter how good they may seem, no matter how they may manifest themselves, they are all rooted in one place, and that's the, uh, uh, the evil one himself, Satan. And so he draws this Hard distinction to help us see that God created people as spiritual for a reason, but being spiritual is not what elevates you above all the others, but rather God, by His grace, gives to you Himself that you might demonstrate and testify 
that Jesus is Lord in the world. And so God demonstrates his grace in the world by filling his people with the Holy Spirit to testify to Jesus' lordship in word and in deed, the workings of our hand. There are a variety of gifts. Look at what he says. There's a variety of gifts. There's a variety of service. There's a variety of activity. Let me explain these three because they're not all the same thing. The variety of the gift is simply an expression of grace that is given by the Spirit. That's what he says. So we know that the spiritual gifts are, some of which are listed below here, some of which are found in other passages in the Scriptures, like 1 Peter and Ephesians. And in those, we know that things can be gifts like teaching, like administration, like hospitality, like helps, like mercy, like, and the list can go on and on and on. As a matter of fact, we understand that we really don't have a comprehensive list of every gift, even if we combine all the lists that are in Scripture. That's the way the Scriptures are clear to us. In other words, God uses a number of gifts, many, many gifts. But there are a variety of gifts. There are also a variety of, of service. And that word for service should be understood really as a word for ministry or specifically an assignment. Because that assignment that is given to you is given by the one who is Lord over you. And so in other words, the assignment is not the what of your gift, but it's kind of the where you're going to implement that gift. Maybe you serve in this ministry, or maybe you serve in that ministry. And then the third is that there are a varieties of activities. And these are actions that he says are empowered by God. So you have a gift, and you have a place that Jesus assigned you to express that gift. And in that place, there is a specific way in which God empowers you to express that gift. And so what he's saying is there's a variety in all of these. But in all of them, it is God's work through you to reveal his power that is working in you. The variety of gifts and service and activities is for the body, but they all demonstrate God's oneness, they demonstrate God's wholeness, and they demonstrate God's supreme nature over all the other gods who would dare to contrast themselves or compare themselves with him. You see, God gifts his people to demonstrate the supreme glory of his triune being. That's what Paul is saying here. That our one God is one in three. The Spirit is giving, the Son is leading, and the Father is empowering in all things. And so we see the wholeness of our God at work in the manifestation of our giftings among the church. And God gifts for His purpose, the common good of His people. Look at verse 7. To each... In other words, the individual is given the manifestation of the Spirit. In other words, the gift to be expressed for the common good. Here we have the purpose of 
their gifts. And the stark contrast is this, that the purpose of the false gods giving their spirit to spiritual people elevated those people above all the masses so that that person could be glorified. But God gives gifts to all people, not just to certain people, so that he can be elevated among the people, among the masses, and they'll look to him and not just to the individuals who have the gifts. And so that's why gifts are important among the body, but hear me, for the body. The Spirit of God works in every Christian in many different ways. And the purpose is not for the one to whom the gift is given. Whatever your gift, I'm not saying you won't benefit from it, but I am saying this, God's purpose in it is not for you. It's for the common good. It's for the church. It's for the church. So spiritual gifts are not a possession to hold, but they are a grace from God to bestow grace to others in serving. You see, spiritual gifts serve God's purposes when they are exercised to serve the good of all. Now, you might ask, what's the difference between a natural ability and a spiritual ability? This, verse 7 right here. So often God's giftings are very natural to us. We'll not deny that. Not always, not always. And sometimes we don't even know them before we get into them. And I'll get into that in just a moment. But the point is simply this. It's the purpose for which you use it. The purpose for which you use it. God gifts his people with grace by the Holy Spirit to testify in word and deed that Jesus is Lord by serving the common good. Here's the first reason from this lesson why every Christian should serve to grow and mature the body. Reason number one is because God manifests his presence, God manifests his power, and God manifests his purpose among the body through the service of spiritual gifts. Some of you met God this morning when you walked in the front door and shook the hand with one of our greeters. You know why? Because they're living in their gifting for the purpose of the common good. Every expression of serving in the church today will be an introduction yet again to God's grace as people serve out of their gifting for the common good. You go, but what does it matter if somebody puts something in my hand or shakes my hand? Or, and, and yes, I'm talking about some very basic things here. But you say, what does it matter? What does it matter if somebody doesn't? Right? It matters, doesn't it? It matters. It matters if people, if you can walk into the room and people even recognize whether you're there or not. That matters. And the easiest way not to see other people in the room is just to be consumed with self, right? Worried about whether you're going to drop this or spill that or get that seed or, you know, whatever the case may be. God gives his people with grace to testify in word and deed that Jesus is Lord. And he gifts his people to serve his purposes among his people. When Christians fail to exercise their gift among the body, there's a part of God's manifest presence that is missing from the body. This is so important. All who confess Jesus is Lord. Listen, they're being worked in. Some of us more than others at times are being worked over, right? 
Yeah, some people got worked over by the exercise of their spiritual gift this morning. I promise you they did. They didn't get acknowledged or they didn't get greeted with the grace that they greeted with, right? So sometimes we are being worked over and that's all for God's glory in us too. And sometimes it's being worked out by God. Sometimes there are moments in the ministry as you are manifesting your gift in the assignment place that God's given you in the way that he is empowering you to do that you're not only working in your gift and God's working you over, but he's working it out. You have these moments that God just kind of turns the light bulb on and says, oh, God's grace to me. This is not about what I'm doing for them. This is about what God's doing in me. And this is about how it is that God's bringing me into a stronger, a deeper understanding of his will and his purpose for my life. You see, God doesn't pick and choose favorites and only bless a few. He freely bestows his empowering grace on all. Gifts are not just for the enjoyment or the free exercise by the individual to whom they are given. And gifts, hear me, are never for personal edification. Common. Common good means there must be a body for which the gift serves. It's not a comprehensive list he gives, but he does identify some of them. He shows what they are. He shows what they are like. And the point he's making with this is this, that the Holy Spirit empowers all of them and apportions each one as he wills. Look at verse 11. That's what he says. He says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Wills. You see, identifying and exercising your gift is an act of serving Jesus' kingdom work. It's an act of acknowledging his presence, his authority, first of all, over your life, but also his presence in your life and what he's doing in you and how he's working through you. And when we fail to exercise our gift or our gifts, we're denying Jesus' lordship over our life by denying the Holy Spirit's work in our life. You see, friends, what, how, or where you serve is never limited and almost never remains the same for a lifetime. I do not exercise the same gifts in the same way, in the same places that I always have since I've even been in vocational ministry. I've not done that even in the same way since I've been the lead pastor of this church the last 11 and a half years. My giftings have shifted and my exercising of those gifts in certain places and in certain ways have changed. And, and I would argue that, that very few, almost no Christians remain the same in that totality. But rather, as we grow and as we mature, we'll see this before we get done today. God calls us to, uh, I don't want to use the word heights because I've already kind of Using a, used a contrast this morning that makes that bad. But God calls us to new expressions of his grace in our life. And sometimes that's not necessarily, we think, for our own good. Because it might hurt a little more or challenge a little more. But it's always for the common good. Common good. Serving in the church begins with this, friends. What? 
does the common good need? You want to discover your gifts and your role in the church? Consider the Lord's leading in your life. Focus on the common good. Not what can I do? That's not the first question you should ask. The first question you should ask is, where am I needed? Right? Oh, some of you sniff an agenda coming here, don't you? Well, I'll just uncover it for you. I definitely have an agenda. And that agenda is this. Most of it is carried out directly through our elders and through our staff and through our leadership and our servers. And I can promise you they'll tell you where the need of the common good lies. Why? Because it's sitting on them in their own ministry assignment. And they're looking at you going, who is God calling to fulfill this ministry, this meeting of needs, this demonstration of grace for the church? So as you grow, what and how you serve should demonstrate maturity, growth. And while serving in the church begins with what the common good needs, I want you to remember that serving that doesn't challenge you can't grow and mature you. If it doesn't challenge you, in some way, there there are different seasons of our life where we must serve in different ways or we exercise our gifts in different ways. But friends, if there's just absolutely no challenge to you, then it can't grow you, and it surely won't mature you. So I I challenge you to think about this. I I begin teaching my kids how to drive in a parking lot, right? But I'm not training my children to drive in a parking lot. No, I'm training them to drive among all the nutcase tourists of southwest Missouri. Yeah, I, I didn't see how I didn't blame that on you. Yeah, so you see, I may begin in one place with them, but at some point, if, I do in my, if I'm doing my job, I've got to bring them in to the place that they were really designed to drive. Consult leaders, identify needs, commit to the responsibility for the role, and that will prove as one of the best strategies for personal growth and maturity in your life. There's one God, there's one purpose, and there's one power. The Spirit gifts, the Lord ordains, and the Father empowers. The greatest way for you to experience the whole work of God in the whole of your life is to identify your spiritual gift and serve in the church. All right, the second lesson. The second lesson I want you to see begins in verse 12. One body, many members. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many part, parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. 
On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Look at me. Lesson number one. There's one God. There are many gifts. Lesson number two. There is one body. There are many members. This lesson, friends, cannot be overstated at all. God designed the body to reflect Him. Look at verse 12 with me again. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. In other words, Paul's saying that the church should reflect the nature and the character of God by its unity among the whole, and the diversity of gifting in each one. That's the lesson that he is teaching us, that it should reveal the one who is working in the body, and it should reveal the one who has worked for the body and for whom the body is working. That's what the church is all about. The unity of the one God who gives gifts reveals that the unity desired among the members as the body is important in the exercising of the gift. So here's the second reason that I implore you today to serve and to grow in the body of Christ. Because the body needs you and you need the body. The body needs you and you need the body. Now he talks about two dangers that threaten the unity of the body. And the first one is this. No person can look at the body and say, they don't need me. Some of you are looking at the church today and asking, if I am needed, where could I fit? How could I serve here? They don't need me. And friends, I want you to know, that's a deception from the evil one. And you need to annihilate that lie so you can hear the truth. Because this is a danger that threatens the unity of the body. No one can look at the body and say, they don't need me. But rather, we look at the body. And in verse 18, we understand that God arranges the body as he chooses The reason people are serving where they're serving and growing the way that they're growing is because God is sovereignly choosing how he is arranging the body. And each person's call from the Lord for the body is according to the body, not just from another member of the body. And you go, but wait a minute, I thought a while ago you said there were leaders who could tell you where to serve. There absolutely are because their ministry, their assignment of service in the church is to put people with the needs of the church. That's their gifting and their assignment. And so that's why I point you to leadership. This is a big issue. No person looks at others to measure or to value their self or their role in the church. Man, I'd be better if I could just sing like Tyler. Right? I can sing as loud as Tyler sings. 
I got one part of it, right? I'd be better if I could just do this or if I was just like that. Or You see, God, God, Paul is just, he's exploding and imploding us on that one deception. God is the one who is arranging the body as he chooses. And he often brings glory. Hear me. God brings glory by giving assignment of what one didn't think they could do so that he can teach them to trust and to depend upon him. I'm stopping there for today. Do you know your assignment in the church? Is there a place that God has said, serve here? Or maybe, maybe it's just God whispering through another person's voice saying, this is what we need. I'm not pointing at you, Preston. One God, many gifts. One body. One body. Many members. I'm going to end the remainder of this sermon next week in the same way, but I'm going to ask you today, are we together? Are you with us? Are you in? Can we help you? This is in no way a plea for me to wrench you down, put you in a quarter, corner, excuse me, and try and force you into something that you neither want that you neither think you could do, or trying to coerce you in some way. This is an impassioned plea for the grace of God to explode in you. For the good and the glory of His name through the congregation of His people. That This is not threatening for me to say to you, you will not grow and mature. You will not be satisfied in the Christian life if you're not serving As God has gifted, assigned, and unleashed you to do. And we want to help you with that. Let's pray. Father, there are a myriad of reasons that we could walk away And justify in our own minds and hearts why this is a really good sermon for someone else. We might even have a few names in mind. But the fact of the matter is, the only way that you give us grace to give to someone else is when we're living in that grace. And so we begin today with this in mind. that this is for me. I need to allow you to search my heart and ask, am I doing what I have determined to do because it fits me? Or am I doing 
as you have called me to do, where you have called me to do, in the way that you have called me to do, because it serves you. Now, God, I pray for each person this morning in the room, and I just ask this, God, that there be no condemnation upon those who are trusting in you, but I pray for clarity of conscience, of mind, and of heart. I pray that the grace of God would come with such authority this morning and such appealing glory that we would put our yes on the table and be ready to say yes no matter what you said to us, trusting that whatever you had for us was for our good and for your glory. So God, help us not to believe the lies of the evil one. And Lord, for the one who is here today who's still checking out the things of you, that they're wondering if Christianity is for them, they're wondering if Christ has any appeal for their life, might today they see that the grace of God is not just something that gives us a promise for the end of life, but it is a possession that takes hold of us even now and lives in us and through us and out of us the life that we desperately desire to have satisfactions, with pleasures, with joys, with peace, with love. And so I appeal to that this morning, Lord, to simply say, have your way in this time. Speak to us and lead us for your children, your people, your body called Life Point needs you to do this work. And none of us So work through us to bring about what is only for you. And we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name.